Hello and welcome to the podcast, English for Life in the UK. This podcast is for those people who want to improve their English by listening to native speakers talking about a range of subjects. And in doing that, to learn more about life in this country. Those of us who record this podcast either work or volunteer for an organisation called the St Augustine's Centre, which is an independent charity supporting all those in need in our local area, but in particular we specialise in support for asylum seekers, refugees and recent migrants. The next two episodes of this podcast are linked and they are about our work. So in this first episode, we are going to look at the idea of asylum seeking and refugee status. What does it mean? What are the experiences of some of those people who have gone through this system in the United Kingdom. So I have interviewed some of our staff and volunteers from the centre, but I've also interviewed some of our centre members. That's the people that we work with who are themselves either asylum seekers or refugees. We have not used their names because in some cases this could be sensitive. We hope this episode may be of interest to a wider audience and not just those learning English. In the second of these episodes, we will go on to talk about the work of our charity in supporting asylum seekers refugees and others. My name is Mark and I am one of the volunteers at the centre. I started off by asking Nikki, one of our immigration advice workers, to tell me where the right to asylum comes from. Yeah, that right to claiming asylum is an important human right and it's backed by um, the Refugee Convention, the United Nations Refugee Convention and is recognised by um, many countries around the world, not just the UK. Um, So that right under the Refugee Convention, it basically states that individuals have a right to claim asylum if they have this well-founded fear of persecution and those reasons might be based on their religion, their race, their nationality. It could be because they're part of a particular um, social group or it could be because of their political opinions. But anyone who can fit that that um, definition has a, has a right to claim asylum. And of course, it's important to recognise that Britain has a long history of welcoming and providing sanctuary for people who have been persecuted. 
It goes back, for example, to the Huguenots, Protestants that were being persecuted under Catholic uh, regimes in Europe. Uh, then the Jews in, the, in various parts of the world in the 19th century, and of course, fleeing Nazism in the 20th century. In the 1950s, uh, there were people fleeing Soviet communism. And in the 1960s, the Ugandan Asians who were fleeing persecution. Today, Britain welcomes refugees from all over the world. But we perhaps should say that the numbers are not that high, certainly in comparison with some other countries. For example, in 2019, the UK had five asylum seekers per 10,000 in our population. The average across the European Union was 14. And UK is only the 17th highest country in the EU for receiving asylum seekers. In 2020, there were 29,000 people seeking asylum in the UK. That compares with 120,000 in Germany. And in fact, the number has been reducing recently, not increasing. The countries with the highest number of asylum seekers by population are places like Turkey, Liberia, Jordan, and in Europe, it's Sweden. So I then went on to ask Nikki about how the asylum process works or is supposed to work in this country. Um, when a person arrives in the country, so when they first arrive at that, that entry, for example, it might be the airport or more typically it could be um, a boat or a lorry that they arrive on, they are supposed to claim asylum at that point of entry. Now, obviously that doesn't happen in, in every circumstance and some people um, may have actually traveled to the UK for different reasons to begin with, perhaps to, as a student or to work um, and come on a different type of visa. And then there's been a change in circumstances back home, which has meant that they're, they're in fear of persecution. And so then they claim asylum later on. So yeah, there's kind of, those are the two main ways. But once somebody, actually claims asylum in theory then um, they have a, a short interview with the home office and then they're supposed they're supposedly given um, initial accommodation if they're destitute that is and then move to um, to be housed in home office asylum accommodation which is usually when we'll meet people in Halifax and that's their more permanent asylum accommodation until a decision's made on their claim that doesn't always happen in um, reality and especially right now given COVID and, and other circumstances a lot of new arrivals are actually being placed in hotels and uh, and barracks too. Yeah yeah I've seen some things on the news about some pretty horrendous conditions that some of them have been in. Exactly. So so let's take the case of people who have arrived in Halifax they're in the uh, accommodation that's been provided um, it's actually under contract isn't it so yes. it's contracted out but they're provided with some accommodation so what's the process then and 
typically how long does that last and uh, you know what what what's involved for the individual who's claiming asylum so the process then is really that the person and the family will remain in that accommodation, like I said, until a decision is made. Um, whilst they're in that accommodation, it's likely that they will be asked to go to a main interview with the Home Office. Um, but before that happens, they'll have to try and find a, a solicitor. And that's often when, um, you know, the role of St. Augustine's, we come into the picture because we have caseworkers that um, specifically help people try to find a solicitor under legal aid. Um, so that's so that's free. Um, and that's another thing asylum seekers are entitled to, um, in most circumstances anyway, are entitled to legal aid. So we help them find a solicitor. They'd have their main interview with the Home Office. Um, and you know already we're talking uh, six months at least could have passed if not longer after the interview they're then waiting on a decision and at St Augustine Centre we often see people who can be waiting on decisions for years um, it's not a, a short process it's lengthy um, it varies obviously depending on the circumstances but it's a long wait for people and throughout that time they're still uh, attending St Augustine's for all different types of support. Where do most of the asylum seekers who, who we end up seeing and supporting, where do they come from? I know it's quite a, a large yeah. number of countries. Which ones would you say were the main ones? Well, I actually had a little a look at the latest uh, statistics from the Home Office, which I believe ended um, in March 2020. And they um, the statistics show that the, the most common five countries are Iran, Albania, Iraq, Pakistan and Eritrea. But I would also just add, um, based on you know what we see at St. Augustine's, um, Afghanistan, Sudan, Ethiopia, um, Syria. Just in general terms, what would you say the main reasons are that people are seeking asylum? So what is the, the fear of persecution that is most often the ones that people will uh, will be um, making the case around. Yeah, it is. That is a difficult question, and I, it just varies considerably. But going from okay. what we again, what we see at Saint Augustine's and the people that we are supporting, yeah. I would say that obviously um, there's um, a large number of people that are fearing persecution because of war and conflict um, and violence. But then something really important to highlight is it's often a personal more personal reason which again will will vary um so it might be to do with somebody's uh, political opinion could be their religion could be to do with conversion conversion to christianity for example that that's um that's commonly seen um at saint augustine's people who are who are part of like a particular social group such as for example women um, maybe experiences of FGM or fears of FGM, honour honor killings and crimes too, so honour issues within the families, that's often seen, that's amongst men and women. Um, and then there's also issues, you know, around things like slavery and tra trafficking. There is a separate process for that, but often, you know, the two, uh, the two connect in some way. Um, yeah. yeah, so I would say those are possibly, I think it's really important, yeah, to bear in mind that it's often a, a personal fear and it might not be the state that they fear, it might be a non-state actor, it might be somebody within their family even that they fear. So 
you know, obviously each individual case is different, um, but it could on the one hand be that the country, the government or the state of that country, if it's at war, for example, is something that's leading to their fear. But it could also be some personal circumstances to do with their family, where their their um their life before they arrived yeah, here. Yeah, almost certainly. And like then it can that. be a combination yeah. of both, even, yeah. Okay. So what do you what would you say are the main challenges that people face whilst they're in this process whilst they're going through this process of seeking asylum what are the big challenges that we experience at St Augustine's I would say one of the biggest challenges is definitely to do with people's mental health and and their well-being um many people that we support have been diagnosed with or you know are receiving support in relation to post-traumatic stress disorder PTSD um, and other mental health issues like depression and anxiety and traumas which existed because of what they've experienced but have been enhanced and actually they've gotten worse throughout the process of and the time that they've been in the UK and uh, with St Augustine Centre because um, the process itself is so lengthy it takes such a long time they're kind of stuck in this state of limbo that they're just waiting on this decision which could be positive it could be negative they have no idea those some of the some of the other challenges would be around language is the obvious one that I come up against, which is, you know, there are a significant number of people who arrive in this country, start the process, and their level of English is extremely limited. And you imagine how challenging it must be to go through this complex process when actually you have very limited use of the language locally. So clearly that's something we try to help and support people with. I, I would say, I, I don't know if you would agree, but I would say the other thing is just um, they're not allowed to work. Uh, the the allowance they get is an absolute pittance, isn't it? Five pounds yeah. something to, a day to live on. And, you know, really, um, I, I feel for the people that I deal with just in terms of how they're handling day to day life. And as you say, I think that often spills over into mental health yeah, issues. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. So because of the work that I do and I work with a lot of refused asylum seekers, I see people, you know, at the end of a process where they could have been here for two, three, four years already and they're refused, they're um, in the UK without, without leave. And um, that's an incredibly incredibly distressing time for people they're often homeless too so they don't have accommodation and um we work really hard at saint augustine's to try and support people to yeah not only with their well-being and their health and to access serve the you know professional services that can support them but we try to support them through immigration um to to help them try and find a a way of 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 staying in the uk but the whole process itself is very damaging for people what happens for those people who get leave to remain what 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 are the challenges they then face at that point so yeah even once somebody has received their status their refugee status um there are many, many different challenges and we do have specific workers at St. Augustine who help people at that point. It's like the move on point for them. Um, but 
the the biggest challenges is really adapt i think adapting and and being able to move from a period in which you're just waiting in this limbo to then suddenly you've got to get everything sorted within your life rather quickly so you're moved out of asylum accommodation there's a 28 day window i believe from when you're um, given notice and then you have to find housing suitable housing and that will often be for families for example council housing um but then for other people they might decide to move away from the area and and rent privately which we um don't support with but the council side you know we we do but often people even um before they can get into council housing they might be waiting in temporary accommodation in like emergency accommodation because they're waiting on the bid for a house or there isn't enough uh properties available at that at that time so there might be a period in which they're still feeling quite overwhelmed and distressed because they've just had to quickly move out with everything um so so there's that challenge for sure then there's the challenge around finding employment which i think is which is a, a massive challenge particularly when you've been out of employment for long periods um often employees i've heard from people that i've supported that people that employees will want uh you know experience and and qualifications and often people don't have that experience within the uk anyway they they most likely do outside the uk but not within and often employees are, are very strict around obviously language and the skills that people have in terms of typing and um how yeah their ability to use things like word excel and they're all, that's all stuff that perhaps a, a person, well, I know because I've spoken to people about it, they haven't had chance to really develop or because um, their, their focus has been elsewhere and they don't have that experience that employees are asking for. So finding work is really challenging. It is for everyone anyway, isn't it? So particularly for somebody who's been out of work, language barriers and from, you know, outside the UK, it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge. Then I went on to interview a number of people with experience of the asylum process. Some of them now have leave to remain and therefore are refugees. Some of them are still awaiting a decision. They come from a variety of different countries and they have been in the UK different lengths of time. And of course their level of English also varies. But all of them have had some experience of the asylum process, some of it more positive than others. So let's hear their voices. Uh, to be honest, it's a, you know, uh, it can be easy to speak about the uh, my experience and not just for me for all asylum seekers because uh, i think it's uh, it was the big tragedy tra tragedy in my life uh, and uh, it was the biggest challenge as well because i had to leave my family and my friends my country and all years i uh, behind you know all years in behind 
when I arrived in the UK, uh, it was a shock to the to the system. Uh, I couldn't speak English. I couldn't understand, and it was a strange place. And I didn't know anybody here. It was very hard to me. I didn't know what I was uh, doing. I had no idea what I'm gonna found here. I'm always afraid about uh, unknown, but it was inevitable and uh, that I have to face my fear and leave what I know to go what I don't know. <laughs> uh, I come to the UK by plan. Direct, uh, I didn't... Uh, I didn't uh, go to another country to come here. Right, so you came directly by directly. plane? Yes. I right. I was uh, outside for one week or two weeks. I when didn't you, have... When, yeah. you say, when you say outside, you mean you had nowhere to live? Yes. Right. Okay. I was there, yeah. 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 I didn't have where to live, so I stay in a, in the city in Manchester. Right. Yeah. So. And what someone, happened? What happened yeah. then? I met someone who told me to to do the asylum. Yeah. Yeah, and I go to London to do it. And after that, I was in the hotel in uh, Leeds. For 28 uh, days, mm -hmm. and after I come to Halifax, yeah, when I stay one and a half years. One and a half years? Yes. And and that was waiting for your interview, interview. And, then, and then for the decision, yes? Yes, it was very hard waiting. <laughs> I'm sure. Wait. Uh, the help... Uh, I had was uh, accommodation where I could live. Yes. Uh, and uh, I receive every Monday thirty-seven pounds. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, it's and, not. Uh, a, it's not a lot of money, is it? No. <laughs> was it not uh, enough? I think. Well. Mark, that's uh, so hard. Anyone wants to live country, you know. I when in my country. I lived lived there for twenty nine years, so that was half on my age, you know. So for my country, different culture, different language. I had a friend. I have a family. I have a daughter and wife. So I lived there. So that was so hard you know so i had i had no choice i have to leave my country because of some things so so first of all i went to turkey so after that uh, i traveled by lorry two lorry and one boat and i think it's from uh, france I came, I arrived to UK by boat, so when I was in the ocean, in the middle of uh, ocean, so the United 
kingdom country and British uh, official, British police in the ocean, they uh, helped us, you know. So if the British uh, of, uh, police didn't help us, so I, I will be dying. I, I died. So I, I was so lucky because in the ocean, so it was so hard. I didn't know. When I looked everywhere, left side, right side, I just, I, I saw water, ocean, not yeah. beach, you know, so I arrived to UK by boat. When I arrived here, so that different country, different culture, different language, so it was so hard, you know, when I arrived, I felt alone and I said with myself, so how can I do? Where can I go? So, but if I want to say that was so hard, to be honest, when I arrived, first of all, I was in the deport center. That was so hard, you know. I was in the prison for one week, I think six days. Yeah. So, uh, I, I was in the prison with many people there, mafia people, killer, I don't know, drugs, mafia, you know. So that time I was so scared why I'm there, you know, that I think, yes, that's that's normal because this country didn't know who I am, you know, so maybe I am terrorist, you know, I had they have to be sure about who I am, you know, so yeah, that was my first experience when I arrived six days beginning after that I went to London for three days in the hotel. I think we call that hotel was Royal Hotel. I think so. So for three after that, uh, they traveled me to Wakefield Urban House in the hostel. I was there for twenty eight days. After that, they transferred me to Halifax. Yeah. Yeah. The, I have. A, I had a house there, an address. So in yes. Queens Road. That was social house. I lived, I lived with three peoples, different country, so different language. I got an interview after five months. Also, cause of COVID, my interview was cancelled. Right. So I right. was, yeah, I was waiting for ten or ten months. Yeah. Or yeah. next time, so you know that, that was COVID ninety time, lockdown time. So because yes. of that, I was waiting. And then, how long after the interview did you find out that oh. you had been given leave to remain? So that was three months. You know, another that, three months. Yes, another three months after my interview. Yeah. That's depend. You know, I. I knew many uh, asylum seekers or refugees after some time. That depends some people after three days, some people after one month. I have a friend, he's waiting for two, two years for answering. That's yes. so hard, you know, just... Yeah, some... that must have been a difficult time for you. You must have been worrying about what, what yes. the de decision was going to be. Yes, uh, to be honest, uh, I had a stress lot of stress that time yeah. so um i had to wait for three years for my decision from home office 
And when it came back, it was a refusal, which my solicitors never updated me on time and had a very limited time to put an application into the tribunal for my hearing. So it was all about, I think I had like three days to do it and they wanted more evidence that took a bit longer. So during all these years that I was with home office, I was depressed, stressed, as it was draining. And also apart from that, uh, the home office on my screening interview fielding wrong information about me and some of the questions were unanswered which were very sensitive so i kind of uh, missed the support that i was meant to be given during all that period because home office did not fill this questionnaire out so it took an intervention of other organization to realize that my screening interview was wrong so you can imagine home office were meant to protect me let me down yeah, during that period, I had my daughter with me who was three years old and she really suffered bad mental health problems to an extent that she had to be referred for counselling. And because I did my screening interview with her and all she could see any police car was home office, any tall building, because I went to Luna House in Croydon. So any tall building was, mommy, mommy, it's home office, let's run. They're going to they're gonna come and report, uh, deport us oh, to man. Kenya. So it was so depressing. And I kind yeah. of felt like, I felt like down for them to have asked me very sensitive question in front of my child who had that understanding at that particular time of what was going on. So yeah, up to today, she still talked about the whole ordeal of how we were treated uh, during my screening interview, and now she's eight. Hi, uh, first of all, my nationality is Palestinian, but I haven't been in Palestine ever. I born in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, and I lived there my, all my life with my family. Uh, due to reasons beyond me, I decide to leave everything in the United Arab Emirates, even my family, parents, siblings, and come with my little family, me, my wife, and my only little son, to the United Kingdom and apply for asylum. It was like uh, going into the unknown. I have never visited the United Kingdom before, and everything here was new for me and my wife. But because the support which uh, we had it from many perfect organizations, we become familiar with the community and the life became much easier. Honestly, I was hearing a lot about how people seeking asylum are suffering and how they are treated in the bad way. But uh, what to do? Uh, I don't have any other option at that time. Uh, believe me, once I reached Heathrow Airport and applied for asylum, I got surprised from the way of dealing with me. Uh, the officers there was very kind and professional. Uh, I don't know, I'm lucky or what I was hearing, just it's stories from the media. Uh, at the airport and in the screening interview, the officers explained to me the whole asylum process and what have been explained to me, exactly what happened with me. Okay, uh, actually, uh, I spent like two two nights in London in a hotel. Then after that, they moved me to Wakefield in Urban House for uh, two weeks. And uh, after that, uh, I got the house in Halifax. Uh, within almost a year, I got a residence in the United Kingdom. Uh, now, during this year, 
the life was a little bit difficult. We should uh, know the country and the places. Also, we, sh we faced some financial problems. But the organization here helped us uh, as much, especially St. Augustine's. Their staff was so kind and helpful, and they really supported us too much. So that's it for this episode. In our next episode, we'll go on to explain the support that we provide at the St. Augustine Centre. And again, you will hear some of the voices of those people who themselves have been through the process of asylum seeking and becoming refugees. If you want to get the transcript, that's the written version, you can do that from our website. Stay listening for the details and to how to find out more about our work and how to support us. Otherwise, we will be back again with the second of these episodes in a very short time. Thank you for listening. You can find the transcript, that's the written version of this episode, on our website www.staugustinecentrehalifax.org.uk and that's where you can also find links to all the other episodes and the transcripts so you can listen and read along at the same time. That's also where you can find out how to donate to help our work. We are a charity supporting particularly refugees, asylum seekers and migrants, but also all those in need in our local area. And uh, we would welcome your support if you felt able to give it. If you follow on the website the links to get involved and donate. We also have an email address. That's englishforlifeintheuk at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you, your thoughts on our podcast and ideas for the future. We also have a Twitter account at Esol Saint, and there is additional material on that site. I'll spell out all those addresses. So the website www.st a-u-g-u-s-t-i-n-e-s-c-e-n-t-r-e-h-a-l-i-f-a-x dot org dot uk So that's the website. The email is English for Life in the UK at gmail.com and that's English for spelt F O R. And finally, the Twitter account is at capital E S O L 
capital S A I N T.